0: I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally, with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. After bursting onto our screens as the lovable Dr. Alex, Alex George has become so much more than just that guy from Love Island. He is a passionate mental health advocate and campaigner. Podcaster, broadcaster, author, and qualified personal trainer, and Alex is someone who I have massively looked up to and learnt from. Through his own personal tragedy, Alex has made it his mission to make mental health education compulsory in schools and has become prolific throughout the UK in his campaigning with charities such as Young Minds to lobby the government to change policy and ensure mental health sits alongside the likes of maths and English on the curriculum. Alex, I'm so grateful for you giving up your time today. It's really wonderful to have you here. We're both talking about how hot it is at the moment, but apart from that, how are you doing?
1: <laughs> uh, well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Alex. Thank you for that kind introduction. And uh, yeah, it's great to come on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing okay. I mean, the, the actually, like, let's not complain. The weather it's just we, we're just saying for yourself, recording, it just makes such a difference. Like, I think um, being able to go and do things that you enjoy. Like, I, I've really got back into playing tennis and stuff like that. I think having even just clear days that are just kind of a little bit warm or just a little bit sunny makes a huge difference to your mood. Um, you know, in terms of gratitude, I think, um, I tried to, you know, especially while the sun's been shining, just be shining, being like, you know, I'm grateful for the weather and stuff for like that. And it just reminds you to appreciate the things that, that you have and the simple things in a way, you know, be able to go outside, go a few walks, enjoy, have a laugh with your friends outside. It makes a huge difference, doesn't it? So yeah, I'm doing all right. How are you? How are you getting on? Right?
0: I'm really good. I do think you're right that um, I genuinely think that nice weather makes it easier to stick to those kind of positive health behaviours in the winter it is harder you know like for example the daily walk the time outside the even getting light in the mornings you know all of those kind of touch points that we typically have as our kind of health behaviors that are daily it's just so much easier when it's nice weather um and i think that yeah i, I definitely am someone who struggles in the winter so i need to find better coping strategies i think
1: yeah when it comes to like the weather and stuff i even i guess if you're on about the walking like it's just so much easier to motivate yourself to go out and go for a walk if it's not raining and sunshine than it is if it's if it's raining or if it's bad weather, and that's where the discipline comes in, I guess. But obviously, you know, it is more difficult. It just requires other ways to kind of focus your mind to still do it. You know,
0: absolutely. Now, obviously, you started your public journey on a reality TV show, and I kind of wanted to start here because I do find this side of things really interesting. And obviously, it's a fairly new phenomenon. I mean, obviously, we start with things like Big Brother and whatever, but but still fairly new. And I wanted to know, to begin with, what that kind of overnight fame was like. How did you find yourself coping with that early on? Because it must have been a complete life shift and transition for you, really starting to, I guess, be recognized as going down the street or not just being able to pop to Sainsbury's in your pajamas or whatever it is how did you find that shift
1: I mean the good news is it's never worried me about what I look like going anywhere so I can still go to Sainsbury's in my pajamas if I want because <laughs> I don't I don't lose really sleep over these things but no yeah you're absolutely right it's such a, it is such a shift I mean you know I went from you know like 200 followers on Instagram it was just me posting watching rugby with my mates or something you know I was not someone that you social per se to someone that was yeah that was known I guess to an ex- to, a, to a reasonable extent and it happened very quickly um you know went from nine weeks interval of disappearing and then coming back out from a show and you know being yeah very I guess very well known to an, yeah to to quite an extent and um, yeah it does change you know it changes things in your life you have to think about things that perhaps you haven't thought about before or, you know if you're going to post something say on your Instagram it's not just going out to your handful of mates it was such a shift. And, you know, I was uh, working in a hospital. My day was basically a structured routine of a shift that I'd go in at like 8 in the morning, come out at 6. I knew what I was doing in my day. I guess the sense of uncertainty was was so different. Like, you know, you go, for me anyway, I decided on a career to be a doctor. I, you know, knew I had to, to kind of get into med school. I had to do my exams. I'd get through and i start training. Everything was very hierarchical and structured into a world that was completely the opposite and in many ways, I'm not saying oh, I was a pioneer, I was the first person. There were other doctors. I mean, Doctor Mike in America has a huge following. He's been around for a while. You've got like Hazel Wallace. There's a few other doctors, but you know, be as perhaps front and center, I was one of the first. You know, arguably, certainly in this country, um, doctors to to kind of certainly appear in that way. Um, so that was kind of scary for sure.
0: Yeah, and I guess there's a lot of pressure. And and actually, one might assume that coming from a medical background, you might be equipped with certain sort of mental health training or tools in order to navigate that. But I wondered if that was the case. You know, I've got a couple of friends that doctors. And weirdly, we were having a chat not that long ago about the kind of mental health training that you guys get in dealing with things like trauma or difficult situations. And they were saying it's actually fairly limited, so, did you sort of feel that you had that bolstering of, of training, or did actually you kind of think none of my medical sort of background is actually really assisting me here? I'm kind of having to learn as I go.
1: No, I, I mean, at med school, um, I think, first of all, one of the things I'm really passionate about is like health is very much overall. Um, it's an, a holistic view of everything within your life from a kind of emotional, physical, financial, sexual health, relationship, you know, nutrition, everything. Whereas in med school, you separate basically physical health and mental health, and you do probably 95% of your studies is physical and that's what everyone's really excited to learn about. Certainly they were in the past. And you had like five percent which about mental health and often that felt quite tokenistic. I think very little of that would have been of any assistance at all. You know, I I started learning about my mental health probably first in actually mental health in general, uh, in fourth year med school. I think it was a time for me where I kind of got to med school, really enjoyed my studies. And then in the fourth year I was sent on placement um to an area away away from my friends. I was even further away from my family. So for family so for context I grew up um, in West Wales I went to university uh, at Exeter and Plymouth as a joint medical school and I was on placement in Truro which is even further west beautiful part of the world and when the sun's shining like this it, it must be stunning at the moment but you know and, and that's amazing but when you're away from your friends your routine your family you can quickly become very isolated and lonely and we know that loneliness is a very very serious issue and um, loneliness is as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day which sometimes shocks people, but I think really brings to life how important it is. And anyway, in that period of I guess isolation, I became quite depressed. Um, I started sleeping awfully, my exercise went out the window, I wasn't seeing friends, I just really became lost. Um, and eventually I got to the point where I was like, Wow, this is really bad and I um I spoke on the phone to my mum and I kind of I'd been holding it in and I said, Oh man, I'm not right. There's something, I mean, you know, I don't feel right. It all came out, a huge outpouring which was actually very cathartic, and there was a huge release of energy um, just doing that, just talking and sharing it with one other person. This problem wasn't just one person now, it was shared between two. Um, And that felt huge for me, a huge moment. But it was kind of sad because I never felt that I could go to university. I was very afraid of going to to the university about it because I thought I'd be judged for it, I'd be held back or there'd be be a big issue, it might affect my progression and so on. So I didn't speak to anyone professionally what i did do is consider hang on like am i living a life that's conducive with actually feeling healthy and well so what i did is i went do you know what i'm gonna start going to bed at 10 o'clock every night get up at seven i'm gonna go for a morning walk to start training four days a week I create an exercise plan so coming out of the show i guess i was kind of really leaning on the stuff i'd learned um from from my experience at university and um, and from then on i i went back to um to frontline work in a and e so for people that weren't aware of you know what I was up to. I, I went on the show I think 2018. I pretty much within six months went back to A and the great thing about that is it gave me that sense of purpose, that grounding. And I I really felt from that time on I was like you know I I have this platform. Let's do something that is genuinely useful. It gives me purpose because I felt quite lost immediately in the first six months. Because like what is my purpose? I've always been a doctor. That's been my thing. I love health. I love learning. I love education. I love I loved doing lectures and stuff like that at the university for the university for students coming to learn the med students in A&E and I thought you know what let's let's keep up with that and let's do that and let's carry on and the other part of it just very briefly as well is I think people assume a lot of the time that in A&E it's all car accidents and injuries I'd say at least the third of our my workload is related to mental health I mean with what we used to you know, I stopped working A&E uh, nearly two years ago now to focus on my uh, volunteering work my ambassador work and also for my other projects and you know To really be able to focus on the things I'm passionate about, but you know, it was really, really eye-opening to me how much mental illness we saw in A and E, and so it was obvious, really, to me that not only for doctors but for general the general public, we learn about this because it's useful to everyone, you know. And the reason I say mental fitness in the front of the Mind Manual, my new my new book, is that mental fitness is something to be practiced. You know, we think of going to the gym and exercising. You know keeping up with our physical fitness mental health is no different
0: and i think it's the fact that and just going back to your your original point about sort of it being compartmentalized into the mental and the physical it's that for so long we've been taught that they are such separate things and you know one is massively normalized one is uh, unfortunately still massively stigmatized you know even you referencing the fact that you didn't feel comfortable enough to go to your university and say I'm struggling I need some help you know and yet say you would broken your leg the first thing you would do is go guys I've broken my leg I need a little bit of assistance it's just it's so interesting how we see those things as such separate entities and um and I think you're absolutely right in the sense that in the same way that I go to the gym and I strengthen my muscles because that gives me longevity and stress relief and whatever else it brings me on that day the same could be said for exercising our our mental well-being kind of doing that in a really practical and, and and almost a mitigating way in the sense that rather than it being a um you know meeting ourselves where we're at in terms of when when things are really bad then putting those practices in it's like hang on a second you know all the stuff that we do to to you know stop ourselves from getting ill or protecting our immune system whatever it is uh we can also do for for our mental health i guess one of the things that i find you know, really challenging, and and this is a you know, huge part of what you now do is really destigmatizing, particularly men, male mental health. I actually I, I watched one of your videos just this morning um, around kind of recognizing the signs of depression in men, and I was a little bit embarrassed to say that I didn't know some of those signs, and I wasn't really aware of the fact that those actually might be warning signs of depression. I wondered if you could maybe talk about how you feel that we change the stigma. I guess how how you're yourself as a, you know as a huge advocate and campaigner working to really change the narrative around this. It's such a huge task to really pick apart and help people to to have the confidence, particularly men, to speak up. You know, we see that the. Uh, suicide rate in men is, is is double that of women if not i think it's actually higher than double and really it's it's such a huge thing to to tackle how are you starting to try and break that down and, and and really navigate i guess changing the narrative
1: yeah i mean men are up to ten times more likely to take their own life than than women and um so much of uh of you know the conversation is around like why you know why is that the case and why men and and the assumption is because of how we socialise men. You know, as women grow up, we often have um, we, we we encourage open conversation. You know, I think talking about how you feel is something that is not seen as a shame. It's it's, it's not stigmatised in the same way, at least to the same extent as men. Whereas men have brought up the idea that you know, man up. You know, grow some balls. You know, don't be a girl. Get harmful, um, toxic ideas, really. But if you if you if you socialise men to essentially believe that uh, showing, uh, showing emotion or showing vulnerability equates to weakness, then they're not at their weakest moments when they truly are feeling weak and very vulnerable and feeling very unsafe, maybe really unsafe mentally, then they're going to really struggle to open up at those times and say, can I get help? Let alone when they feel strong. So if you're feeling really, really great and you've been taught all your life not to share about your feelings, even if you're really brilliant can be really scary to go, Oh, this is how I feel. Yeah. That's, that's a good place, let alone a difficult place. And it's interesting because, again, we separate mental and physical health, which I think is, in the long term, the goal should be to unify for many reasons. I mean, a good example is you know if, if anyone listening imagines when they've had an exam or they've gone to do an interview, they felt nervous, right? So they've thought about this interview they're about to do. What happens? You have physical signs of your nerves. One of those is that, those, that lunging feeling in your tummy and your stomach, the butterflies, and that's because through the vagus nerve that runs through your brain to your gut, it tells the guts to move blood away from your digestive system, from your from your bowels to other parts of your body that are useful to dealing with the challenge ahead. That causes sensation of butterflies. Your blood is moving. Your, your worry and your thought, your mental thought is uh, causing a physical movement of blood. And the opposite direction is true as well. The building blocks of serotonin, where are they synthesized? In your gut, by your gut bacteria. So if you look after your gut bacteria, probably going to have a positive impact on your ability to be happy. So I think There's so many examples where the two are unified. Therefore, when we separate them, perhaps that's not the most logical thing to do. When we separate them, we find that there is a very negative view of one and perhaps not so negative view of the other. Physical health is just a descriptive term. It provides no information as to whether it's good or bad, nothing at all. You could have amazing physical health in between or terrible physical health, and mental health is the same. But When you Google mental health, you find grayscale images, head in hands, negative images, and physical health offers often very very difficult and you know so much of what uh, so much of my challenge i guess as being an ambassador or someone an advocate i guess mental health is, is, is twofold first of all yeah we need to prove services and access to support we need to make fun make sure fund is in the right places make sure people can get the help they need when they need it but they also need to feel able to approach and get that help so a lot of men we know this from very many studies and shows that even if there is fantastic service available, they can, they, can act, they can access support quickly, that at least half of the time they won't they won't access that support even if they really need it. Why is that? Well, it's because of stigma. And I think it's lack of education around uh, mental uh, health and indeed illness. And I think through education at school, through de destigmatizing, teaching about emotional literacy, so understanding thoughts and feelings, learning how to kind of, decompressing how to unpack your thoughts and feelings and also be able to understand that your situation your mental state at the moment isn't fixed for life that actually even if it's great now it might have there might be days that they're difficult and you need to deal with those and vice versa and that's really important because when people are in dark moments it's understanding that you're not locked in that for your life there, there can be days and you've not lived all of your best days there are plenty of opportunities for happiness for enrichment for peace for fulfilling for purpose for, for purpose in your years and time ahead. And I think that's what we've got to really work on is that breaking that stigma, uh, removing the uh, shame, making sure that young boys are brought up with positive reinforcements around vulnerability equ- equating to strength, which it does. We know that the idea of resilience isn't about bullets bouncing off you. It's about being able to bend and flex with pressure, bringing in support externally, having um, you know women and men and other people in your life that you bring in to help you having coping mechanisms that are healthy, being able to vocalize your struggles, that is what gives you true resilience. You know, and I, I feel, you know, talk about masculinity, I'm a very sensitive, open person. There's very little that I don't share. There are boundaries around parts of my own personal life, but in general, I share a lot of it, especially when it comes to mental health. But I feel that I'm very masculine and I feel that I'm very, very strong. I don't, I, I feel that, I, you know, and I, 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 you know, I can say this given a lot of stuff that I've been through and endured, that, that I am very resilient. And I'm resilient because I'm vulnerable. And I think that is a really important point. And I hope that's something that we can, you know, I, I wrote A Better Day for Children and so much of that in there is trying to really kind of refocus, re-educate and, you know, reimagine what it means to be strong and to be resilient.
0: Absolutely. That was such a brilliant answer. And I completely Um, relate to you know you sort of saying that you are very resilient because you are vulnerable and I think that that's something that I think all of us are slowly learning is that you know even in the connections that I make with friends and with you know people around me I actually find I I deepen my connections and I am a better person for actually being more vulnerable rather than less and letting people see that and actually on that point I think it's a really interesting conversation to have my my audience and the podcast listenership is, is is skewed towards um you know being female heavy, but I think it's important to understand, and it would be really great to hear from you how to really navigate those conversations with people around us that are close to us, whether that be a partner, a friend, a dad, an uncle, whatever it is, you know, starting to. Those conversations say, you know, I might have watched that video and thought actually some of those things are really relevant to someone that I know that's close to me. How do you encourage people to have those difficult conversations to try and get someone to slowly open up to show their vulnerabilities if they are so stuck in that place where being vulnerable is actually not something that they're comfortable with? You know, how do you start that drip feed of them just starting to open up and, and hopefully creating that conversation?
1: Yeah, so one of the first or the most common things I get asked, i you know, I travel. i I travel far and wide really and i speak to a lot of people i do a lot of talks talk to a lot of people about this topic and it's very common that people say two things to me how do i recognize when someone's struggling like someone in my life colleague friend daughter you know whatever someone in my life you care about struggling and secondly how do i approach the conversation around it and you know you referenced the, the video i made around five hidden signs of depression in men and the truth is The truth is you don't have to know all the signs of depression or anxiety or those things at all the key thing if you actually watch that video really is noticing change that's the biggest thing i would say is that how do i know someone's struggling there's two things notice how they've changed over time if you've known someone for a year two years five years ten years you know what it it, what they're like whether they're introverted or extroverted you know whether someone that's really high energy whether someone's a bit more quiet and it's noticing that shift and change in their energy, in their presenteeism, in their in their, their, their both their verbal and nonverbal communication. If that's changed, your probably your gut instinct will tell you something's up, and that's the second part of it. It's just trust your gut. You know, um, your gut instinct is amazing. We always talk with that sixth sense idea and it's absolutely true trusting your gut will allow you to realize a lot of the time something's up so th- there's a three-step approach that I, I i advise people use to having conversations around you know str- people that are struggling with mental health or approaching conversation where they're worried first of all starting with that thing trust your gut first of all starting with that thing of trusting your gut it's so important if you are feeling there's something not right with my husband or I just don't know. Like something, something isn't quite right here. Trust it. It's almost always right. Second of all, is ask twice. So, Time to Change started a campaign called Ask Twice. And it's because a lot of the time, as Brits, especially, if we say, How are you doing? I'm going to tell you, Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. You've had the worst day ever imaginable. You dropped your coffee, tripped over a cat, and that you missed your tube, everything's gone wrong. But if I asked you, I'm fine. That's what we do. Okay. So asking twice is saying, actually Alice, I know you say you're fine, but you know, my gut is that things aren't, you know, you don't seem yourself. How are you really? And then you're immediately removing and wiping that away, that kind of you're clearing that table almost of all the kind of barriers in between of like this britishness and this kind of like, are they really asking or are they just kind of making conversation? And it allows that person permission to to actually share. It makes them feel seen. So, what I'm saying to you in that situation by saying, Alice, you know, you don't see yourself. How are you? Are you sure you're okay? I'm saying to you, I see you. And for someone that is feeling isolated and afraid and maybe doesn't know how to even let on or to tell someone that they're struggling, feeling seen is a very liberating, is a very liberation is a word, it's a very freeing feeling. And so they might turn around and say, actually, you know, I'm, I'm okay, or I don't want to talk about it. But them being able to walk away from that conversation and know they've been seen is huge. And you, what you might find is that person might not open up right then, but they might come back to you in a week or so. And that's how I leave. They say, no, no, I'm fine. And say, well, that's, that. you know, absolutely fine. But just, you know, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. So if you do want to chat, just let me know and, you know, drop me a text, whatever, and we can talk about it. Now, if someone goes, you know what, yeah, you go, yeah, yeah, you know what, to be honest, it's not a good time at the moment. The third part is signposts don't fix. It's really important. I cannot say this or emphasize this enough that trying to fix people who are struggling almost always makes things worse. Even if you're a psychiatrist, a consultant psychiatrist, if your friend or family member or colleague is struggling, it is not your job or your role and it's not even helpful for you to try and fix That person, you know, if I if I'm in hospital and I'm seeing a patient, you're you're a consultant psychiatrist. If you're seeing a patient in your clinic and you're looking after them, you are in that situation. The doctor, the expert. When you go home and say your daughter approaches you and says, "You know, I'm struggling." It is not your job to fix that person. You're now switching from a consultant psychiatrist to a parent, to to a father, to mother, or to a friend. That and it's really really important to understand that your role shifts. I hope that therefore helps people understand the importance that if you're a parent and you have someone that's struggling around you, that by trying to just be there as the parent, as the friend, you're enabling them to share openly without judgment, without kind of packaging or tidying up, it makes it so much easier and more comfortable for you both to move forward and go and get support. So, you know, I I have so many young people that I talk to about this. One of the most common things I hear is, um, you know, uh, those with uh, eating disorders, and uh, with lipid eating dis- disorders or in recovery who say well actually when i approached the first person i talked to i spoke to my parents it was kind of like no no no, you're beautiful you look amazing you know you're not overweight or don't be silly It all pass and it's not it's not a big deal you're not and and that packaging and tidying just creates a huge chasm between what you're experiencing and the invalidation basically of what you're experiencing and the person that's trying to help you so that, that is a really good, I think, way of, of of kind of emphasizing how how important it is to avoid fixing. So it could look like, Alice, thank you for sharing with me and that you're, you're struggling. I don't necessarily understand everything that you're saying or everything that you're struggling with, but you know, I care about you, I'm your friend or I'm your, 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 I'm your wife or you know I'm here to support you. What does looking better look like to you, and what kind of support do you think would help you? And that way, they always feel in control. You define you or there as a friend or a partner and we'll work it out together. And that's what my mum did for me really in that time. She said, look, you know, what things might help you. And, and that way it, is, it, doesn't, it takes pressure off both people. You don't have to feel that you're being fixed and the other person doesn't feel they have to fix you. So yeah, trust your gut, ask twice, signpost, don't fix.
0: We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. One thing I just wanted to address with that, and this is something that someone that was very close to me that, that struggled with mental health, and I was always told, you know, they've got to want to get better before before they, you know, before before you start trying to get them there. As in, everyone around them can be willing them to get better, but actually, they've almost got to come to the the kind of reality that they that they need to do that for themselves. And I wondered how you kind of feel about that advice because it feels really difficult to have to objectively step back and go, I as much as I want to try and like do all these things to fix you right now, like that person actually isn't in a place where they're wanting to be helped. And that's a really hard place to be. And I I know that there are lots of people that I've spoken to, particularly in relation to things like eating disorders or whatever it might be, that find themselves in that place.
1: Yeah, well I I mean almost if you think about it, that's a perfect example of why fixing and get and and stepping into a role where you're immediately trying to become the fixer can be so harmful because then in that circumstance someone might not want to be helped they might not even recognize that they're actually struggling with their mental health but you want to fix them and what that will then do is push you apart probably affect communication and so on whereby stepping into this and going look as much as i want this person to get better by trying to fix them it's going to push them away it's having that open dialogue and open conversation some of it might be really difficult where it's like look, you know, uh, these are the things that I'm noticing and you're well within your right to say, depending on the relationship, this might get instinct, but also these are the things that I'm concerned about. What do you think about them? And having an open dialogue, but also then respecting their decision and respecting their, 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 their desire, I guess, at that time to face those things. That person might not be ready. It's like with grief. A lot of the time, grief might be dealt with months or years down the line because someone needs to be ready to deal with it. But then of course, You know, and then having said all of that, it's really important to protect your own boundaries, your own mental health. And people often say, Well, you know, how do I create the boundaries? Well, you know, ultimately you can't help other people if you're you're not in a in a good place. Or or I mean it's not quite true all the time because actually when you're struggling, sometimes the, the combined unity of two people that are going through something can actually really help each other. But certainly, you know, if you're if this is really having a negative effect on you, it's going to affect your ability to support them. So having boundaries, I think, is really important. And sometimes you have to make very difficult decisions. Whereby, if their behaviours aren't changing, they're damaging your mental health. You have a decision to make about whether is it right for you to be in that situation. Are there further boundaries that need to be made? Is stepping away one of the things that, that that might be appropriate? And I know that's difficult to hear, but it's it's an important thing to to consider because you're right. That person has to be ready. And so much of I think them being ready is them being vulnerable enough and available and able to. Release and stop trying to hold things together, and recognise that there is there is a, a struggle. And I think that's why you know the stuff around the education and things at school, and why you know teaching around emotional literacy around recognising struggle stuff is so important. Because if you do that early on in people's lives, it means it's much less likely to end up in a situation where people are holding on to things and they're not able to recognise themselves that they're truly they're truly struggling. Um, but yeah going you know going back to that i think it's having that open dialogue and conversation also be able to set your boundaries and really respecting your boundaries as well if it's impacting your mental health then you need to think about what what, you know what you do what is right for your mental health because if your mental health is suffering from it the the knock-on effect is probably going to affect theirs as well anyway yeah yeah
0: one last thing on that subject is is about the you know um kind of blame game that people play with both themselves and with things around them when it comes to mental health issues or, or anything in that kind of space. One thing that I definitely remember and just referencing that, is that issue that I had, I know that that person close to me loaded themselves up with blame or trying to attribute it to various things that were going on at the time. And I think one of the things that really needs to be understood about mental health, and, I, and I'm sure you probably cover this in, in your um, you know educational aspects of, of what you do, is that mental health can affect absolutely anyone, regardless of how good, bad, whatever it is that's going on in your life. And I think that's a huge conversation to be had. I think there's a massive thing to be said for people that might find themselves in relatively privileged situations. They might have a great job, lovely family, you know, wonderful children, partner, whatever it is, and yet still be affected by this stuff. And I think it's really hard in those situations, for example, where there almost isn't anything to Place it on. There's not something to say. Well, this is the reason why I'm feeling this way. To sort of say, regardless of all of that stuff, it's still okay.
1: Well, I think you know the thing to remember, and I and I I I try and and it sounds I never mean it in a patronising sense, but I mean it in a cognitive like awareness sense of people going like, right, are you like, do you really and truly see this within yourself? That you know, if you if you have a heartbeat, which we do, so you're chatting away then we have physical health, right? And if you have a heartbeat, you also have mental health. You have it. You all have it. It's not something you choose to have or not have. If you're cognitive, if you have thoughts, if you have feelings, if you think, you have mental health. And therefore, if you have mental health, which we all do, you're going to be open and you're going to likely experience a full range of, of, of mental health. matters all the way from amazing mental health all the way to real struggles. Now, I'm not saying everyone will experience mental illness, but I think most people will go through times in life that are tough. I mean, I, I don't believe, I, I see mental health spectrum, and one side you've got perfect mental health, and the other side you've got severe mental illness. I think in reality, most people will have some experience of a lot of ranges or a lot, a lot of that range of, of available experiences within that spectrum because that's life. You know, we all lose people. We, we, have, we experience grief, you know, whether that's heartbreak or whether that's a loss of life. We often experience failure. We experience uh, judgment from others. We experience self judgment. You know, we experience good times. We experience happy times. We we all experience a lot of ra- a lot of that range of 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 mental health. And I think that's that's the thing for me. And that's why it's so important to learn about it, even in the good days, because you have no idea what will happen. And you know, you could have um you could have a as I say, quote unquote, perfect life, great job, great family, the kids, everything's brilliant. And then the next thing something happens like that something changes in your life and all of a sudden you're plunged into into a difficult and you know dark place you know like I guess when my brother died you know I, I wasn't I was coming out of the pandemic it wasn't exactly sunshine and rose at the time but my mental health was okay and then a click of your fingers he's passed away you know he, he died by suicide and all of a sudden you're into a very very dark place and I think that's really really important to remember you never know what's around the corner and sometimes quite rightly as you say There isn't an obvious reason. You might go, I've got a great job, I've got the wife and kids, but I still feel bad. And that is often because there are a lot of things that come into play about where you are with your mental health and the things you do each day actually really do matter. And I think sometimes people really dismissively overlook the day-to-day and what is going on in each day. So you might have a great wife and a nice house and the kids are brilliant, but are you... Are you stressed all the time? Are you overworking? How much sleep do you get? What do you eat? Are you feeding your gut microbiome? Are you drinking too much alcohol? Now, how often do you actually move your body? Are you keeping up with hobbies? Do you feel connected to friends and stuff? Do you feel a sense of connection outside of the family home? Do you get on with your people at work? Are you feeling connected to them? There are so many things and all of those things come together to make up how you feel. Uh, And so I, I think, you know, Give yourself a bit of compassion. You know, if you're listening and thinking, "Oh gosh, well I I should be really happy," I mean, you know, give yourself some 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 compassion and realize that there are a lot of things. You know, we're humans. You know, we're 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 basically many pieces of a, a jigsaw that come together to give that full picture. And there is a lot that goes into play and goes into actually how you feel at this very moment in time. But the good news is, is that you know, what we do does matter. And that means that there's actually really positive things. So you're not, you know, there's very few people who are subjected to a certain illness in terms of their mental illness. And for life, that is it. You know, there are. There are people with, um, there are people, say, with uh, bipolar disorder, who you know, we might need medication. There might be people with depression that struggle to be off medication. And that's, that's that's I'm not saying it's fine in terms of their experience, but there's no shame in that at all. And even for those people, but, you know, what you do each day, it still matters. I mean, I've been on medication I'm off it now, I was on it for 18 months or two years. It was a huge part of keeping me whole and keeping me going and allowing me to access all the other range of things that I needed to do in my life. But the good news was is that by doing, you know, thinking about my getting up and having my routine, having my cold shower, going on my walks, you know, having therapy, you know, in going to the gym, having my movement, having a good network of friends, by investing in all those other parts of my life you know, it meant as a whole, together with the medication, that I managed to get so much better to the point where I came off the meds. Now, there's no shame of staying on meds. If I need to be on them for life, then so be it. But what I am trying to say is that, you know, there's two things. Number one, that you might have, be having a great time and life might be great, but you never know what's on the corner. And sometimes your mental health might slip without having an obvious cause as well. But secondly, the really good news is that, you really can build it up. Mental fitness is there, you know, and it takes time, it takes dedication. You know, you you know, you've obviously been in the world of health and, and fitness for 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 a good good, you know, a good deal, you know, a good amount of time. And you know that if you if you didn't go to the gym for six months, your strength would go, your cardiovascular fitness would go. You wouldn't go in and lift the weights that you lifted six months ago. You haven't trained for six months. And what that means is it requires dedication, discipline, doesn't it? You know, it requires discipline. It's easy to go out for a walk now when the sun's shining when it's raining and not nice in winter it's harder but you know i think some of the things that we miss sell or misrepresent in in, in the well-being industry at times is that well-being is fluffy and easy it isn't therapy is hard work it's tiring exercise is physically hard it's obvious to go to the gym is exercise being disciplined to get up and go for that walk having a cold shower requires you to stand there in a cold shower i'm just picking a few examples but very few things well-being are genuinely easy but the hard work and discipline over time does pay off. And I think that that is the crux of it all. If you give yourself permission to understand this won't be easy, but because, it's, because and like, like many things are in life, because it's not easy, it will be worthwhile. It means you're much more likely to stick at it. and You're much more likely to realize that benefit over time.
0: Such a brilliant answer, Alex. And I think actually, um, as with, with fitness and the things that I you know deal with in the fitness world... Um, things don't come overnight so we want easy quick fixes unfortunately and and, that, and that's to be understood you know I get why people are like that but when it comes to both the physical and the mental nothing changes overnight even you referencing you know you start start putting these kind of daily practices into place but it's a good two months before you actually start to see the benefits of that um, and on that point I, I, I guess you know if we if we set aside quick fixes of which there aren't any um, I'd love to hear about your own kind of mental well-being practices how you now day-to-day sort of really try to bolster yourself and protect yourself from from the kind of fluctuations of of um what life has to throw at you i know that you've referenced a few but i'd love to hear kind of a, a, your daily practices
1: sure and i mean i i am um, and it's important to say that you know i love to think of your health and your your your, your kind of well-being practices as a toolkit so we all have a toolkit mine is going to be is going to vary slightly to yours, it might vary quite a bit, might vary a little bit. It's all going to be different. But building your own toolkit, understanding what's in them and what works for you is really, really important. And the other note I'd say just before I start as well, is recognizing the harmful tools in your toolkit. Not everything you do every day for supporting or de-stressing is going to be helpful. A great example is alcohol. It's a, it's a great example of something that is in a lot of people's toolkit and they reach to you very often to de-stress, but actually it causes more harm than good. And I find it is really interesting. There's a recent paper that um, studied cortisol levels or stress hormone levels in relation to alcohol. And a lot of people say, well, alcohol helps me de-stress. Well, even if you have three glasses of wine a week, your baseline cortisol levels are higher than if you had no alcohol. And that is a direct marker of stress and inflammation in the body. So it doesn't, it doesn't reduce stress. It's just an example. That's not a demonized drinking. People enjoy and people, A lot of people have a very good relationship with alcohol, and that's absolutely fine. But it's just recognizing maybe when is that becoming a problem or when, not in terms of the necessary addiction, but when am I actually leaning on this tool too much? Or this tool, I'm using it to de-stress, but actually it's making things worse. It's, it's definitely worth thinking about. And, you know, the mind manual, really, I put that together to help people create that toolkit and understand their own mind. So I'm going to talk about my own experience, but with the caveat that everyone's going to be different. So I get up at 6.30 almost every morning. Routine is important. You know, you're very passionate and a big advocate around sleep. Um Getting up at the same time, going to bed at the same time is really important. Ultimately, our, our sleep cycle isn't designed to deal with big fluctuations. Um, it wants to kind of know, our circadian rhythm wants to know when it is we want to get up, and when it is we're going to bed. And we'll probably vary 15, 20 minutes in terms of when we fall asleep and when we wake up. So that's really important to me. I get up at 6.30, I get in the shower, I start with a hot shower. And then in the last 30 seconds, I turn to cold. Uh, It's a really great way for anyone that wants to start having cold showers. It's really hard to jump into a cold shower. It's much easier to start warm and go cold and count for 30 seconds. Uh, Cold water therapy um, helps boost dopamine in your brain, which is a reward hormone, It helps boost uh, endorphins, and it gives you also a psychological boost in the morning because you've already overcome something. You know, no one really wants to have a cold shower. But when you turn it on to cold and you overcome that challenge, you've already achieved something. You probably haven't even less, left your bedroom yet. Um, another thing I would say as well is a great talk um, by that captain who said, make your bed in the morning. Make your bed in the morning. It is one of the best things to do to start your day in routine. It means that it is signaling to the universe and for yourself that you care about the details. You get up and you leave your bed messy. What it means is that the first thing of the day that was a task for you to do, which is to make your bed, you haven't focused on the details. So take a few moments, make your bed, and start your day properly. I then um, grab a coffee, grab Rolo um, and my dog, and we go out for a walk. And I do that walk every single morning, rain or shine, because it is absolutely vital for me in my day. It means I get blood flow into my brain. It means I get movement in my body. Again, boosts endorphins. It's grounding, being out in nature. The routine is amazing. Again, there's a sense of achievement that I've done my walk. That morning routine is quite simple, really. Get up at the same time, have a cold shower, grab a coffee, go for a walk. That starts my day. And bookending your day is, I, I think, a really important thing. So having a solid start and a solid end. So then in the day, i will be doing all sorts of stuff. You know, it's chaos a lot of the time. As you all well know, this world can be. So I'm the day, I go and do my things I need to do. I try and fit a walk midday if I can, ideally, but sometimes I can't. I have my day. And at the end of the day, I bookend it with exercise. So I generally go to the gym or play tennis or have another walk or go for a run. At the end of my day, it bookends the stress of the day. So you start your day in a positive frame of mind. You end it by closing the stress cycle and closing that stress loop. And you exercise. Exercise is a great way to release stress, to let go of the day. I then try to have you know, a balanced meal, at dinner. I then try to do something that I enjoy in the evening. So um as we're recording this, I've got a singing lesson tonight. I like doing I, I I don't sing for anyone else, but I'm learning to sing. Oh I love
0: that Alex. I'm, I'm doing, literally like, about to start singing lessons. So it's making me really happy hearing that you're doing that too.
1: Really yeah scary. You know it's funny I told my singing I've only I've done about six lessons and I said to my singing teacher, I said I'm standing here now about to sing in front of you. as the first person I've ever tried to sing in front of in my life. And this thing, I, I used to play a lot of guitar and stuff, so I can kind of hear. I know it's in tune, so I, knew, I know I'm mostly out of tune and uh, that I've got a lot of work to do. But I said, I'm more nervous now, stood here doing this than I was. Or I'd say, at least equally as nervous as when I stood in front of the prime minister to take on the role as a mental health ambassador. And I think that, you know, and, and I said, that's the context, I guess, of doing things that scare you that are outside your comfort zone. You know, I could stand and talk in front of hundreds of people, but to sing in front of one person was infinitely, infinitely more um, scary. So, you know, the whole saying of do something that scares you every day, or at least, you know, regularly, I think is a really good thing. But, you know, that's my, my, that's my point. Have hobbies, have things, have time for you. That hour singing lesson is my time and I love it. I'm not singing lessons every night, but I might read a book, or I play some guitar, or I listen to music, or sit outside and you know and, and relax in the park, whatever it is. Try and have some part of your evening routine that is for you. Your sleep routine is the final thing. For me, I go to bed at half nine. That's my bedtime generally each night now, especially because the days are often busy. I'll get into bed, I'll read a book, and I'll try and fall asleep by about 10 o'clock if I can. Really avoid screen time. You know, I, I we all go on about this, and you know, I'm not perfect with it. Sometimes I have been on my phone, and I am, but I I'm very cognitively aware of it, and I try and avoid it because stimulating your brain, getting dopamine hits before bed is just waking your brain up, regardless of the content being good or bad. You're just waking your brain up, and that is not helpful when you're trying to sleep. And a tip for that as well, you know, generally, you know, I believe everyone should have a screen time on their phone, so lock it at two apps or whatever it's depending on your job and lock it on at a certain amount of time and don't exceed it you know you don't no one needs to be on their phone more than two hours a day no one does you know we work as creators and stuff like that fine but even then most of our content is created out of app. you know then post it and do it don't sit there scrolling for four hours a day it's not going to be good for your mental health put a screen block on it it will help so so that's roughly my day that's roughly what i do um, uh, you know, there's this fundamentals there within sleep, within movement and exercise, purpose, self-reward, self-compassion, self-kindness. Those things are kind of fundamentals within that, but you can adjust it. People might go like, I'd much rather go for a cycle in the morning or in the morning, I'd love to go and do my gym session in the morning. That's fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's the beauty. Build your own toolkit. Use the similar principles of what you're trying to achieve.
0: I I love all of those, particularly the singing, because that's something that I'm about to start <laughs> okay. doing.
1: What did do you want to do? Love why that... Why did you want to do it? Why... I
0: I used to be in musicals, so like my background was actually in singing, so it's a bit less scary for me. But it is still a challenge because I haven't now done it for years. But I also think there's something think so fast. Did you not? Yeah, I trained as a professional dancer.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? It's like we're. Because I care about health and well being, that's where, I was, where I'll know you as. I guess in some ways, people like, hopefully, most people come to me now for that, uh, not for the reality side. But it's interesting how you meet people, isn't it? And that what you see and also shows that often you might know something about someone and have no idea they've got a complete other side to them. It's interesting, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. But I also think that singing is actually one of the most cathartic things that we can do in terms of it's very freeing it's very you know I think there's even quite a lot of research about kind of the connection between you know just letting stuff out you know vocally singing and stuff and I think um just with a with a reference my mom but my mom um has been in a choir for years and mentally I think that's such a huge thing for her and I've seen the benefits for her and I was like why am I not doing that why am I not doing something that I genuinely love um so so yes I I'm also doing that but I think that um it's really wonderful to hear about your touch points and you're absolutely right to say that you know those different differ sorry for everyone and you know mine looks slightly different in the sense that I love to go to the gym in the morning but I'll go for a long walk in the evening after I finish work to kind of again close that stress loop. Um but I think that you know what I've learned from you today is is actually that um and, and completely as you say it, and I think sometimes we can be kind of lulled into this false sense of thinking that well-being is very fluffy and very you know, lovely and it's all the kind of nice things and, and, and it can be all of those things but it also is about the kind of mundane the basic the everyday the compounding of behaviors that we do time after time after time that actually gets us to a place of resilience rather than it being kind of you know booking into I don't know something that looks very wonderful and lovely but might just be a once in a blue moon kind of thing I think that um my my previous modus operandi was to just throw money at the situation and be like, oh, I'm going to have a massage. oh, I'm going to go and do this. And it's not to say that those things aren't great, but I do think that there's often in the stuff that we do every day, the free stuff, the, the kind of the, the stuff that we can really commit ourselves to on a regular basis that that, that has the most benefit. Uh, now, look, Alex, my final question, because I could talk to you for hours, but, I'm, but I realize that you're a very bu- busy person. But I would really love to hear about what you have coming up in terms of you referenced the mind manual, which is really exciting in your children's book as well. Um, but also with your own, with your kind of um, campaigning, I'd love to hear what you have on the horizon and, and and really what people can start to maybe engage with you on or help you on or whatever
1: it is. Well, just on the I just on the note of what you just said, I think it's so important as well if you're going to do things in your daily routine, attach things that give it a sense of reward or help you with your discipline. So, for example, if people are going to go into their morning walk, have listened to your to your podcast while doing it. I mean, the, the, attaching things that feel rewarding, you know, and I just. I started the Stompcast, um, which is all about getting people out walking. It's broken up into three parts: so walking um, in twenty-minute sections, so you can attach it to your walk to work or whatever. I have an interesting guest on; we have a chat and we go for a walk. So the Stompcast, uh, another example, and and I that premise came from the fact that I often listen to podcasts but I'm walking. I think, well, I enjoy that; it makes it into a treat as well. So you're getting the visual stuff, walking and moving, but also you're learning or you're enjoying, or you know. So try and think of ways you can make as much as i said that discipline's really important but give a sense of reward to what you're doing you know and remember to give yourself a pat on the back as well you know if you're sticking to these things like Do you know what? i'm doing really well um in terms of things about coming up the main focus for me at the moment is getting early support hubs funded so early support hubs are um uh, designed to be for under 25s walk-in support a holistic view of health 360 degree view um thinking about things like financial pressures thinking about education thinking about things like therapy getting people back into sport into communities and it's really about getting in there early and having early intervention because at the moment people wait far too long to get help so the government i've been asking and i've been working and um, the last two or three years to build the case for the hubs and i hope to get that done the other thing i want to do is get um, mental health first aid mandatory across uh, all workplaces to at least an extent because um, uh, we know that okay physical first aid is important but people are much more likely to struggle with their mental health in the workplace than they are the physical therefore it makes absolute sense it's common sense as i'd go as far to say to have mental health first aid training not just physical health and it's as helpful to people that go and do the training as it is for those that i think benefit uh, from it because line managers will say well at the moment they're already coming to us with struggles or we're already seeing people that are struggling we just just don't have any tools and that's much more stressful for anyone than it is empowering people with the tools and understanding, and then giving them, you know, the places to signpost people to to give them the support. So that's my real focus. So I'm loving recording the Stompcast. You know, I, I absolutely love it. We release weekly episodes. Uh, yeah, and I, I I'm absolutely, uh, you know, I'm loving my writing and stuff. I need to have a little pause. Probably now that my manuals out. I'm gonna have a little pause. I'm focusing on doing my um mental health masters that i'm studying at the moment so i've kind of got those things going on but yeah just amongst everything just trying to live and you know i over the last few years i've also really really developed a lot of boundaries in my life like i I, I as much as possible work within working hours I try not to work many weekends but in general I, I'm trying to have a, a sustainable life for myself where I'm actually looking after myself as well as I'd like to
0: That's absolutely something that I think we could all be better at I know that yeah you, I, you can spread yourself to and you cannot my, as my mother always taught me you can't pour from an empty cup so you've got to fill yours first Alex I cannot tell you how lovely this chat has been I really appreciate your vulnerability and your sharing and just your excellent advice So thank you so much for giving up your time and coming on. And we will put the links to all the things that you've mentioned in the show notes so people can access that there.
1: Thank you very much for having me and I'll see you very soon.
0: Thank you so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that episode i would love it if you could take some time to rate your view and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it we have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out see you next time insanity group